thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread. I'm speaking to you in a beautiful sort of ordinary Thursday morning where I'm at. And I've got the kids off to school, and the house is quieted down now. And looking out across the fields behind our our house here. And uh, just looking forward to some time in the Word this morning. We, we're on thread number 21. This is coming from Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And so if you don't have your Bible, why don't you run and get one? And we'll be right back. Okay, we're in Mark chapter 6, and just to remember the background, after sending his disciples out on an extended preaching mission where they did this big circuit of small towns and villages declaring the kingdom of God, that it had come and it was, it was present already, that judgment from God was coming, but also new possibilities and the rule of God was coming to make things right and to bring the power of heaven to solve the problems of earth and to fix what's wrong with each of us, then they call the people to repentance. They healed their sick, cast out demons as a sign that the kingdom really was here and really does have all the power that they are claiming for it. And they've been doing this. They're tired, excited, and uh, they've come back now kind of uh, emptied out spiritually, and Jesus was trying to take them away, and the crowd saw that. He was taking them away for some rest and uh, retreat, and the crowd saw it, and they've rushed to them, and they spent you know the day or a couple of days listening to teaching, and now they've been fed. And uh, it, you know now even more, everybody has is really worn out. So Jesus once again puts his disciples in the boat. And he says, I tell you what, you guys take off and let me send these people away. And then he needs some time alone. And he will come to wherever it is he has sent them, uh, either in another boat uh, the next day or by foot uh, in a day and a half to a couple of days, however long it takes him to get there. So he sends them away and he goes up on the mountain to do the thing that fills him up. And that is he needs time alone with God. You know, there's, there's prayer time with other people. There's prayer time when you're doing ministry to people and you lay hands on them and you pray over them and call on the power of God to come and meet their needs. But there's another kind of prayer. And if you're going to be in ministry and if you're going to be a person who, who intentionally gives out, you know, you just empty your own vessel in order to serve other people, you've got to develop a personal prayer life, not just a prayer time, but a walk and a life in prayer with the Father. And, and you know, one of, the, one of the cool things in my own journey in prayer has been the places that I pray. You know, there's been these special places. I can remember in college, there was a uh, a theater and uh, on campus, and it was abandoned, uh, the kind of theater where you do plays. 
And in the basement of it, there were a couple of rooms, and there I don't even remember if there was any lights there, maybe a dim five-watt light bulb. Uh, but as you entered that place, you could hear people praying. You couldn't really so much see who was praying. Uh, you could make out some forms, but that was just the praying place. And if you were serious about seeking God uh, at Lee University in those days, that's where you went to seek God as one of the places. But then on my own... I had this hill that uh, overlooked the interstate, and I would climb up behind this hotel and get up uh, you know, in that kind of no-man's land around an interstate where they fence it off. But you now that was my place to sit, and I knew nobody was going to come, and, I, and it was a beautiful view. And it just inspired me to pray and just spend hours up there talking to God and learning, you know, learning to get close to Him, to open my heart and tell Him the truth about what was in me and you know, Jesus runs to prayer. He doesn't seem to have to make himself pray like it's his duty that he has to check off this thing so he'll be good. He he just wants to do it. He needs to spend time with the Father, and when he does, it fills him up, and uh, it, it gives him what he needs. Because for Jesus, the definition of spirituality is not, like in the Pharisees' case, they had a list of spiritual disciplines, and if you do these things, you are thereby, you know, you're thereby spiritual. You can see that you're spiritual because of the work that you did that is spiritual work. But in Jesus' case, he understood spirituality to be union with the Father, to be one with God, to unify what's in your heart and make it match what's in God's heart. So you love what God loves, you hate what God hates. And he has gone to find himself, his time and his place to align his, align his inner self with the perfect God who has all resources, who you know is, is the standard of all things and will make all things right that connect to him. So... Uh, you know, I just want to encourage you, find yourself some places of prayer, some private places that no one else is a part of. Because you've got your, you know, prayer groups and prayer partners and prayer walks with other people. And th those are great. You need that too. But nothing can take the place of your private time of prayer with the Father. And the more you minister out, the more important this is in your own life, that you fill yourself back up with uh, the life of prayer that you develop with God. Well, now, as Jesus is sitting on the mountain and he's praying, he, he likes to go up on the mountains. He, he likes high places. And so he's, he's on the mountain. He's praying in verse 46. It gets dark. He can see from where he's at the disciples in their, in their, their little boat, uh, something between a sailboat and a ship. Um, he can see them out there and he can see that they're in trouble because a storm is coming up and the wind is blowing in their face so they can't use their sails at all. And uh, it's getting very rough out there and they are straining at the oars trying to get themselves some progress. And uh, these are, um, many of the disciples were very seasoned uh, fishermen. They were men who understood boats. They knew how to deal with the sea. Uh, but notice that there's no immediate rescue from Jesus. He doesn't, he's not all bound up in rescuing behavior. He sees them straining. 
That's not going to hurt them. He's, he doesn't overreact. They aren't in danger. They're just having a really desperate time against these circumstances. And, you know, a lot of times as uh, friends or parents or spiritual heads, we jump in and save everybody from having to deal with the hardships of life. And we think that's our job. But if we're following the pattern of Jesus, we can understand that's not my job at all. You know, they need to face their own circumstances and they need their own miracles. They need their own walk with God. And my part is to help them along their journey. They're not on my journey as though they're my big support team for my journey in life. It's their journey too. We're all walking with the Father. Well, he, he stays there and watches them until sometime between 3 and 6 in the morning. And that's when the scripture says he came to them. And isn't that how it always is? You know, God will let you go until, you know, 11.58 or 59, and, you know, midnight is the disaster moment. And he, he doesn't need to come until then, and we need the experience and the character building of having to fight our own battle and, and build ourselves up like that. Interesting that, I think this is an interesting note in the narrative. Uh, he comes to them, he checks them out, he realizes that they're okay. And the scripture says he would have passed them by. I mean, he doesn't come running to them and go, oh boys, it's okay. This is a private, you know how Jesus does miracles for people and it's private. He doesn't tell them, you know, he tells them not to let anybody know. Now here he is. And I don't know how he got in his mind that he could walk on water himself. But he has walked on the sea as though it was land. And he doesn't need to be seen doing that. It's totally a secret. He's willing to keep it that way. Except that these guys saw him and it horrified them. They thought it was a spirit. They thought they're about to be killed by it. And that, you know, he doesn't want them to have that that fear and it's it's the love that he has for them that causes him to disclose himself to them and say it's not a spirit it's i and it calls out to them now this same narrative is in uh, is recorded uh, in Matthew's gospel Matthew 14 and it says in that narrative you know that Peter was in the boat when Peter realized it was Jesus he asked Jesus to command him to walk to him, because he knew if Jesus commands blind eyes, they open. And Peter knows all I need is a word from God. And if Jesus will command me to come, that's all the power there needs to be. I'll be able to do this too. I mean, there's a that's an amazing level of faith. Now, it's left out in Mark's gospel because, as we said in the introduction, Mark's gospel is, is actually Peter's gospel. He has told all the stories of Jesus to young uh, John Mark, and he has written them down. And since it's Peter telling the story out of modesty, he leaves out, you know, the self-glorification uh, of talking about himself walking on water. And I think that all by itself is a, is a good reminder to us, too, that we should be very concerned about self-promotion, and we should be careful not to do it, um, you know, it's a big PR age, and we, we tend to tell every single good work that we do in an effort to get money to do more good works. But you know, they didn't, Christians have not always done that, and God has always provided for those good works without that need. So uh, I think that's good. That's good for reminding. 
Um, down in verse 50, it says, Immediately um, he talked to them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. He's always trying to get people to not be afraid. Jesus does not, uh, is not a friend of fear. Uh, that is something that uh, the believer needs to conquer. So he gets it. He comes up into the boat with them. Verse 51, the wind ceases and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they marveled. You see, they did not see Christ as God. This is a, you know, we read the gospels from the resurrection. We read it back, back into the story as though, oh yeah, you know, we know the end. We know he's God. We know he comes back to life. They did not see it that way. He is absolutely human flesh. And he keeps doing things that are just amazingly over the rules. They did not see him as God. They had no doubt he was fully man. I believe that Jesus operated as we all must operate. I don't think that his divine nature gave him any extra abilities, but that he had to rely, just like we do, on faith, on prayer, on trusting the Father, on his uh, best instincts, on the energy that he had in his own body. Uh, I think he was limited by choice, fully limited, so that he experienced this entire walk of discipleship just like we would. Uh, he was bound by the laws of the universe, and yet he had such a level of faith, even as a man, you know, that he could have the thought. And I don't know if it was the thought uh, they need help. And he just knew there's no other way to get to them. There's not a boat. There's no way to get out there. And his mind was so open to possibilities that God could do anything. And that the kingdom is here now. And the kingdom has power that no one can uh, overestimate the power of God in his kingdom. And so it, it, he doesn't have these, uh, boundaries in his mind. Like, you know, uh, we can pray for people who have back aches, but not to have a hand grow back on the arm. You know, that's just a, an example, even from someone in a healing ministry. It's like, oh, well, you know, God doesn't actually do that one. I don't think in Jesus mind, there were any limitations whatsoever about what God can and cannot do. And, you know, it, to prove that it's possible to think like this and to stay in this frame of mind, you got to go back to the reference that Peter also walked on water. Peter was not God. And yet when he got that thought in his mind and, and the limitations were removed from his thinking, he was able to do it also himself. And I think verse 52 says, the point is that these disciples had not understood about the loaves, you know, the feeding of 5,000, because their heart was hardened. What's being said is that the power of the kingdom, even now, is greater than we know, even in ordinary places by a lake with bread and too many people to feed. Uh, you know, in the midst of any kind of, of challenge that this life throws at you, the power of the kingdom is present to deal with that in any way, and if we could learn to grasp that, if we really believed it and trusted it and relied upon it, some amazing, creative new possibilities would emerge for us. God is a God who is creative. He is all-powerful. 
His kingdom has no limitations. And if we can take the limitations off of our mind, amazing things start to happen. I know in my own life, I've had people come into my life before. Okay, for example, uh, I felt the Lord telling me it was my job uh, in the kingdom to make sure that the Philippines had a youth uh, Christian radio station because the average age is 22 of 86 million people. And I didn't, I couldn't find that there was a, you know, nationwide contemporary Christian music uh, network on FM radio or, or even local stations. We didn't have that. Had some preaching stations on AM, but that's not where the youth are. So I felt like, okay, I'm supposed to do that. And um, as I committed myself to that, I, I started looking at the amount of money it was going to take. And it was just I never had to come up with that kind of money every single month. And uh, I, I met a brother who had done this kind of thing before, and, and his name is Hal Short, and he's the uh, one of the founders of United Christian Broadcasters out of New Zealand. And they fought for like 18 years against the, the government of New Zealand to get to have one hour of Christian broadcasting one day. And I just can't imagine that kind of tenacity. But I, I remember looking at my budget and saying, Hal, I'm going to have to come up with like $6,000 a month to do this. And he shook his head and he said, oh, no, that's not right. He said, it's going to be at least double that. And I, you know, I was just so overwhelmed by that, but he didn't seem even bothered by it. He said, oh, brother, God will provide. And, you know, it takes somebody like that sometimes. And once you get it out of your mind that you can't do it, then all of a sudden, you know, you can do it and it happens. And, you know, sure enough, it's been almost five years now and United Christian Broadcasters in the Philippines has been operating. So um, the possibilities are there. The whole point is our level of faith. But let me encourage you, dear brothers and sisters, to understand the power of God that is available to each of us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to work with us in our life. And if you're doing work on behalf of his kingdom, you can count on him to be all that you need at all times. Uh, that's all for now. And uh, if you'd like to talk to me directly, chuck at quinley.com. That's my personal email address. And you can also check out the emergenetwork.org site that will give you some helpful uh, material for growing, and my personal blog, quinley.com. I hope you'll check out one of those, and we'll talk to you next time. Thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to emergenetwork.org.